Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Oh, hello. hello. How are you? Anytime I am planning for the week about who I'm going to have on the show as a co-host, or if I'm going to fly solo, because sometimes I do that as well, I'm always like, but I want to talk about films. So it's got to be <laughs> Meredith. You're like the only regular co-host who is as insane as I am in regards to seeing like so many movies. And I'm really like, I'm glad that I have you because it makes me feel a little bit less alone and insane for seeing as many as I do. So Yeah, like when we're together, it seems normal. If I talk to anyone else, they're like, you see too many movies. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but like, how else are you supposed to see everything so you can have an opinion on everything? Smart guy. (laughs) You gotta see it. How are you going to do it then? Huh? How are you going to be better than everyone? Yeah, so that is... A, a small part of the reason I wanted you on. Also, I just love talking to you. And I, I always feel like less uh, insane when I have a co-host, when it's just me. I can do it, which is sort of disconcerting when you realize you can talk uninterrupted for an hour and it's like pretty much not a big deal. You're like, oh, there's something like broken within me. Yeah. But at the same time, who we've all been talking to ourselves in some ways. True. What a good point. So that I was telling my therapist this the other week where I was like, um, I feel like everybody's finally on my level because everyone is now mentally broken. Whereas yep. before I was always like the pessimist, the I like I always feel weird in social situations. It's the way I think. And now in the times I've interacted with people over the past two years, I've noticed that everybody's thinking more like me. And I I think overall that's probably bad, but I personally feel uh, less like an outlier now. (laughs) Yeah, that happens to me too. I'm like, oh, so now when I ask people like these questions, like, how are you doing or how have things been? Uh, The likelihood that they're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm bad. (laughs) And everybody's really honest about it now. I feel like there used to be sort of, even among people who are like, really into therapy and really into like speaking their feelings there was always that sort of need to present oneself as being like uh thriving you know especially like within the entertainment world to be like I'm working on this I'm working on this yeah things are going really good I got a lot of momentum behind me and now people are just like fucking nothing's happening I'm really depressed and fortunately I think a lot of people have been going back to therapy and like you know looking into medication because of that. So like positive things are coming out of it, but it's just, I feel like people are fronting less. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I have noticed, and I talked to, I've talked with you about this, but you know, right in the first couple of days after the new year, uh, I just started feeling so tired and so emotional. Mm-hmm. And the more people I talk to, it's like everybody's, on is just like oh yeah i've i've basically been crying every day in 2022 yeah well and, i mean at uh, this point it's been like okay so it's two years of this fucking bullshit pandemic we're in the third wave of COVID. we're gonna get to all that in a second but yeah of course everybody's depressed i would be concerned if you were like best time of my life man i am crushing it i've never been happier i would be like you're a sociopath yeah. I mean, the best thing I can say about the pandemic is it gives me an excuse to get laid a lot with my boyfriend. There you go. Because there's nothing to do except remain indoors. Yeah. Uh, I also think that's been good where it's like, yeah, like if you're in a healthy relationship, it's giving people like time to connect, to reconnect. I think for a lot of people who were really really this is me um like hustling and uh you know had a lot of FOMO now there's like nothing going on and I can just really slow down and then I just wasn't doing anything and that was a the opposite problem because it was like okay you could be doing something right now but yeah yeah, I, I do think like good things have come out of it But yeah, overall, what a shit show. So if you're feeling sad and you're listening to this right now and you think you're alone and you think you're weird, you're absolutely not. I've pretty much noticed everybody's fucked up from it. Yeah, there is. I've seen this sign around Madison as I've been driving. There's one that's right across the street from my building. I can see it out my my window. And the sign just says, you're not okay. And that's okay. (laughs) What? What a 
beautiful message. Oh, and we're going to get to this in a second because that just reminded me. Uh, we're going to talk about Station Eleven, everybody, in a second. But Oh, yeah, we are. I think that's a really beautiful message, and I think it's it, it seems so obvious to a lot of people that we sometimes don't say it out loud. But I think it's really important to, when you feel this way, to say, I'm not okay. Because what's the... Yeah. Ref- the reflex when, like, if you and I ran into each other uh, on the street and I was like, how are you? The reflex is to say, I'm good. And, like, it, that's such an empty, nothing response. Because even if you are good, I'm sure there's more to that answer than just saying, I'm good. But Yeah, absolutely. Most <laughs> of the time, we're not good. And it's it's sort of like a, a revelatory feeling to say, I'm not okay and I need help. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't there that emo song about not being okay? There's not, I'm sure there's not just one. <laughs> I'm sure that's a whole genre of emo music. <laughs> I'm not okay emo subgenre. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm just- <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, before we get into everything, I wanted to thank Teresa, who's my newest Patreon supporter. Thank you so much. I see you. I recognize you. I hope you're doing okay, Teresa. And then Amy wrote in, once again, I'm always looking for your questions, comments, recommendations over at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Meredith, your mic is so hot. I can hear everything you're doing oh. right now. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. I'm actually like in awe of how sensitive your mic is. Um, so Amy wrote in with a recommendation for Beyond the Edge from 2017, which is, this is Amy, Amy writing this, literally the smallest budget sci-fi movie I have ever seen. Haven't finished it yet, but the first 90 minutes are weird enough to warrant a recommendation. Um, and then Amy, you asked me if you could <laughs> email me a question about dating and I was like absolutely I don't know if you emailed me because I so rarely check the email but I will check that so hang in there and let me know if you don't if you haven't told me in the email uh if I should read it on air or not either way is fine but um thank you for for both of those questions so Let's get into recommendations. And I sort of, usually I go in chronological order of stuff I've watched since we last did an episode, but I changed it up this time just because I noticed a theme for for some of the stuff you and I were watching, Meredith, and like <laughs> texting about. So let's talk about the regrets of motherhood, shall we? Um, and start with The Lost Daughter. Which is a great film, highly, highly recommended for me by director Maggie Gyllenhaal. She's very good. Um, And I know as a Gyllenhaal that affords her a lot of privilege, like access to like some of the best filmmakers working right now. So I recognize she had like the best team possible, but you can tell she has a good eye. Yes, that was, I mean, I also loved this. I basically like insisted that you start watching it as I was watching it. So (laughs) we just could keep talking. Wait, what's that? Uh, Wait, wait, wait. Didn't I watch it and I told you to watch it? No, I was watching it and and I was like, this movie is amazing. And then you started and were texting me like... You were like 20 oh, minutes Oh, you're right. Me. You're right. I'm thinking of uh, the next thing we're going to talk about, which is come on, come on. But um, yes, you're right. So yes. uh, she does. I mean, as we have said in our many conversations, sort of deal- dealing with Hollywood nepotism, if you're actually talented, you know, what am I, what are we going to do? <laughs> if you, yeah, you know, at least like- you, you should make the most of your opportunities to do interesting stuff. And that's why I was so impressed with, the choices that she made, like just very assured for somebody doing her first movie. Very assured. Uh, clearly a, a a disciple of the original text. Can I go on a mini digression about nepotism very quickly? Yes, absolutely. I, I understand why people are very frustrated uh, in regards to nepotism within Hollywood because it is a problem and it's very frustrating for people who are working like three jobs to see somebody who, let's say like a Dakota Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, out there who is like <laughs> Hollywood royalty, like has had every privilege handed to her, yada, yada, yada. I understand why it's like frustrating in that sense. 
but I think we need to acknowledge there are degrees of nepotism. Like definitely at the higher end, I would I would put Dakota Johnson at the higher end of nepotism. Rosie, I hear Rosie. Um, Sorry, guys, she's got feelings <laughs> about nepotism specifically. I, yeah, she's actually just a Dakota Johnson mega fan. Here's so. the thing: so am I. So after I say all of this, I'm gonna like praise her because I love everything that she's in. Um, so. But I do think we need to acknowledge there are degrees of nepotism. And sometimes I I think like Tom Holland's a great example of this where his dad is a comedian. So people were like, oh, nepotism. And it's like, how in the fuck did Tom Holland's dad being a comedian help him in his audition for Spider-Man? Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really make yeah. sense. At some point, he has to go into the room and audition and be good. Uh, yeah. And, and that's when I'm like, okay, we have to acknowledge there are degrees of nepotism. Just the fact that you have family members who at one time worked within the industry does not mean you were handed everything on a silver platter. Absolutely. And, you know, we can be, you know, if you can bring the goods, like, Sometimes, why else would somebody become a child yeah, actor? That's the thing. Their like, parents are in the industry. It's part of their culture. Like, it never occurred to me growing up to do anything in the arts because that's just not what my family is about at all, you know? So, like, I really had to be exposed to a whole different kind of culture to be like, oh, I can, like, perform in front of people. Cool. But I was always, like, behind everybody for that reason. You know, I was, like, a decade behind everybody. Um but yeah, like you grow up in that. Of course, you're you're ahead of the curve. So like, do I envy people who grew up with that? Absolutely. To be surrounded by like art and inspiration like that is awesome. But I, yeah, at what point did like the fact that his dad is a comic help him? It just it doesn't make sense. And I think when people say it, it's out of this like frustration with, you know, the fact that we we don't live in a meritocracy, we we do live in this rigged system. But it, to me, it's just like that reflects you don't really understand how the industry works. If you think <laughs> the fact that his dad is like this obscure UK comic helped him in Hollywood, it's like it absolutely did not. <laughs> no, it probably was a detriment because people were like, I don't see what's funny about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not funny. Um, okay, so let's get back to The Lost Daughter. Olivia Coleman is a fucking genius, and there are so many great performances in The Lost Daughter that you realize how good she is because she is just blowing everybody off the screen. And they are, like, giving very good performances. I mean, Paul Mescal is in this, uh, Dakota Johnson, the the woman who plays her sister, um, she's really good. And, yeah, oh, Oliver Jackson Cohen, my my husband, he is in this film as well. Uh, not doing, <laughs> Harris. Just, like, leaning sexily against stuff. And I'm like, yes, Oliver, thank you for your service. Um, he's wonderful. But, like, truly no one matters other than Olivia Coleman. She's that good. Yeah. And I thought, so, as you said, this movie is primarily, or I guess the big theme is, it blows to be a mother, a mom, especially like a working mother in particular, and that it can totally ruin your life. And some people shouldn't be parents. Look, um, did I text you at one point and say, how glad are you that you didn't have kids? Yes. But also I, yeah. I could see this being very cathartic for people who did choose to have children because it is still considered such a taboo in our culture or many cultures for a woman to say being a mother is fucking hard, and sometimes I hate it. And sometimes I don't like my kids. Yeah. And I thought there's just, I mean, how did I describe it to my friend last night? I think I said, uh, yeah, I think I said, oh, yeah, it's uh, Olivia Coleman is bitchy, and then she goes to Greece, and everything gets very tense and horny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really about how much it sucks to be a mom. Oh, can we talk about how like oh, sold. <laughs> can we talk about how Ed Harris is still weirdly hot? Oh, so he he was definitely radiating sexiness. Very hot. And like how old is he now? And he's like completely like, bald. I was just like good on you, dude. You are still weirdly sexy. Um he's 71. 71 and he fucking looks good i was like i was really hoping um i guess let's just say blanket spoiler warnings going forward because i don't know what's a spoiler anymore guys i don't know what counts as a spoiler shit's gonna slip out if you don't want to hear spoilers for stuff we're talking about skip ahead to the music cue 
But I was really hoping that Ed Harris and Olivia Coleman's characters were going to hook up because I was like, come on, you're like in this beautiful location, clearly have chemistry. I wanted Olivia to go, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would have, I, you know, I felt like she definitely deserved to uh, to get some, but I can understand why, of course, she was not going to hook up with the weirdly the charming, but sort of vaguely unsettling caretaker or or but paul, it's still... paul, paul mescal's character which i was like damn she could be like fucking everybody in this resort and she is just like humbly passing where i'm like olivia come on um yeah but yeah i i really think it's it's a, a revolutionary film in that sense where it's like yeah it is still considered so taboo to to talk about like Sometimes you don't like your kids. Sometimes you hate being a mom. And there is this this really, really raw, weird tension throughout this film where, like, man, I was just, like, on the cusp of a panic attack the entire time because, like, I, I felt like something terrible was going to happen. In a way, terrible things do happen, but it's never in, like, the big scary way that you think it's going to happen. It's, it's more a film exploring the the dynamics between women, which is really interesting. And unfortunately you don't see it a lot in film, but the, the weird ways that women talk in like coded language to each other, where like everything seems very pleasant on the surface and there is just like poison underneath. (laughs) Oh, just the, yeah, it was, I was, I think I was probably convinced there was going to be violence at any moment because there was so much tension between these women and so much just like jockeying for power. And and so much tension in the fact of Olivia Coleman's character just being a unpleasant, sometimes unpleasant woman walking through the world who refuses to adapt to what people want from her. So like, for example, when she's asked to move on the beach I would say 90% of women would probably have moved. And yeah, she yeah. says no. And it's so it's so upsetting in a weird way because you're afraid for her. It's like you're by yourself. You're traveling alone, which is already scary for a woman. You're an older woman. So that's scary because people can hurt you. And like the scene in the movie theater when she yells at the group of teenage boys to be quiet, you're just like so scared for her. And you start to have this really horrible thought where you're like, just be quiet. Just be quiet. And like, don't cause a commotion. And then when you realize you're having that thought, you're like, oh, my God, our world is broken. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I think that? She has every right to tell them to shut the fuck up. She has every right to say I'm not moving. But you just wish she wouldn't say that. I know it's the the fact that suddenly she just it's it's amazing how much tension a film can get out of a woman refusing like claiming her own space. Yes. Um that not accommodating and not feeling bad about that. I mean recognizing that she can and should do it and and being prickly is fine. Like she doesn't need to apologize for the fact that she recognizes her choices yeah. caused personal issues. And it was just fascinating to see because as much as people talk about how they want to have unlikable, complicated heroes and heroines, usually that just means that somebody gets a scene in the movie where they're like drinking whiskey in the dark by themselves. <laughs> or, or they jump into a pool and there's a shot of them sitting on the bottom of the pool. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so in this case, like, this is, it. like, she made her, obviously, because she's an incredible actress, an unlikable person that I was still really compelled by. Yeah, and sometimes she's very charming and she's very funny and you you understand why people would want to be around her. But what Olivia Coleman is so good at, and she does this in every performance I've seen her in, she creates layers for the character. So we have the superficial level where it's like, oh, I see why, you know, like men like to be around you. You're very charming. You're very fun. But then there's all of these other layers of, you know, uh, you are sometimes difficult. You have weird relationships with with women who you perceive as being like more attractive than you. There's this like weird jealousy streak in you, and then there's this very very weird behavior like 
bedrock personality when we as the audience get to see her acting out in strange ways that are very like frightening (laughs) yeah like there is some there's just it's amazing how like all of this is just such there's such small moments and there's somehow so much menace because it's like they don't make i mean they don't make sense you're like oh god yeah this is just like people like broken people like damaged people Mm. will do something like will do stuff that is just utterly mind-boggling uh, and that's when I'm like, but, Maggie's just a great director because she she sees these little moments and she lingers on them. And it's like it, everything's so deliberate. Every, you, she's really in, in command of what's happening. I think it's very sweet, I have to say, in this film where Peter, <clears throat> Peter Sarsgaard's in the film is like a sexy professor. And I think it's so sweet that Maggie presents the ideal male in this movie as being a very bearded <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard it's like she still thinks her husband's the sexiest man in the world I thought that was very sweet well and he's playing like this very suave like vaguely kind of rock star like academic just like god professors haven't been sexy since like I know it's clearly just her 25 years ago it's clearly to her just being in love with her husband and thinking he's so hot and I was like I'm gonna let this slide but also it's very very sweet you cast your husband <laughs> as the sexiest man alive because at this point i'd be like peter sarsgaard's a good looking guy but i wouldn't say like you know he like i mean paul mescal is also paul in, mescal this movie. Is in this film oliver jackson cohen is in this film like legit like men in their prime and then she presents peter sarsgaard and she's like eh? it's like all right maggie um yeah he's and great. He's at the great. same time i yeah i i would also yeah i'd hit it like oh absolutely like i said the movie was extremely horny. Oh my god, so horny! Uh, and I want to shout out. Um, obviously, Olivia, um, Olivia Coleman is amazing. I think she's like a really, really strong front runner at this point for the Oscars. Um, but Jesse Buckley as young Olivia Coleman is doing so much. Like she's giving a masterful performance, but then she's also adopting a lot of Olivia Coleman's mannerisms in a way that makes it very believable that she's the younger version of her. And it just reminded me that Jesse Buckley is like one of the greatest living young actresses right now. Yeah. Yeah. I thought her performance was great. The, you know, it can be really hard to do a movie that has flashbacks mm-hmm. that doesn't when, and then have it not feel cheap. Like you're asking one of the people to do a, a cheap impression of whoever the bigger star is. And I really thought that uh, I could just see so very clearly how she went from the, you know, Jesse Buckley to being Olivia Coleman. Like those choices made sense to me. And I felt like that in itself, like was just very powerful Mm -hmm. because I mean, I wouldn't, if somebody was like, okay, you're playing the young Olivia Coleman. (laughs) I'd be like, nope. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, and then, you know, queen nepotism herself, Dakota Johnson is very, very good in this film. She has like a really sexy, mysterious quality to her that like when she is on screen, you can't look away from her. Absolutely. And just, again, you know, kind of why, People would be drawn to her. Oh yeah. Why Olivia Coleman would be drawn mm-hmm. to her? The um the long dark hair, yeah. the like the <laughs> eyeliner, everything is just like so good. It's like yes, this is a girl from Queens. <laughs> just that moment, you're like, it's just trashy enough. Yes. You're like, oh yeah, this is the kind of person who would show up in Greece gold, to vacation. Gold jewelry with the bathing suit on. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the big floppy hat. Yeah. Oh my god, it was incredible. Very good. Everything um, is styled just right. Yeah, I, it's great. I highly, highly recommend The Lost Daughter. And then I won't talk too much about this film because Meredith, I don't think you've seen it yet. But Come On, Come On also has a lot of regrets of motherhood themes running through it. Where the gist of it is, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is a a journalist who. Uh, 
is recording audio for like an NPR style podcast. And he's interviewing young people about like the state of the world and what they think the future is going to bring and how they feel as people. And that is all fascinating because a lot of it obviously is just Joaquin Phoenix interviewing young people who are giving their honest answers and it's not acting, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's really moving to hear, you know, kids be oddly optimistic about the world. It's really beautiful. And then some kids are like climate change I feel like we're all going to die, like giving answers like that. Um, but overwhelmingly being like pretty upbeat, pretty positive. And you're like, all right, that's what being a kid is like. Um, and then he has a sister who is dealing with a lot of stuff in her private life. And she's not able to take care of her son for a period of time. So he sort of becomes the default guardian of his nephew. And it's about their relationship and uh, his relationship with his sister and also his sister's relationship with her son, his nephew, and how it it really sucks shit to be a mom a lot of the time and be in that default caregiver position your whole life. And not just with her son, but also her husband and also her brother. Like she is always the one who has to take care of people. And that fucking sucks. And come on, come on's very honest about it where she, I think at some, at one point she actually says like, you don't like your kids sometimes. And I was like, right back watching the lost daughter where I was like, wow, what is this like new aggressive confrontation of motherhood? And I, I think it's just women being more empowered and having a voice in filmmaking, you know, like whether it's directly like Maggie. Gyllenhaal or like influencing people who make films like you know speaking honestly about motherhood but I was like it's so interesting that the lost daughter and come on come on have that thread where it's like yeah do we always have to pretend that like motherhood is the greatest gift yeah well and I mean that's why it's interesting that you know you mentioned it, it coming up again because Mike Mills has been very open about how you know he made a, an entire movie about uh the influence, the women who influenced mm -hmm. him so hugely. And clearly he was affected by watching them struggle. So it's, it's nice that it's not just women and there are some people who are willing to kind of jump in, but also recognizing that being able to tell stories about how the people who have a place in life and end up being able to step in if somebody needs help, like those, they also get the, the benefit of, not having them around all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, it sounds like it would be cheap, but it's not. There's several moments in Come On, Come On where Joaquin is talking to his sister. And sorry, I call everybody by the actor names. It's just I don't remember the character names. But uh, so Joaquin mm -hmm. is talking to his sister and there's like several moments where he's like, you work really hard. And she's like, I do. I do work really hard. And he's like, this sucks. And she's like, it absolutely sucks. But it's just a man realizing how hard she's been working and telling her that he sees it and recognizes it and appreciates it. And I was like, once again, I was like, this should not feel so special, but it's so special. <laughs> and it's great. It's it's great. I really recommend Come On, Come On. I think everybody gives masterful performances. Uh, I cried so much watching it. So that that's my only caveat. Like, I have to remind myself sometimes that not everybody enjoys crying when they watch films. I do. I find it very cathartic. So I'll I'll recommend something like Come On, Come On, and then people will be like, what the fuck, Allison? I cried so much. And I was like, I know, isn't it great? But they don't mean it in a good way. They're like, I didn't want to cry. And I'm like, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. So you will cry watching Come On, Come On. I think in a good way. I think it's a beautiful film. I highly recommend it. And then finally, for me, Meredith, if you have anything else, please add it. Um, I wanted to talk about Station Eleven with you. Yeah, and I am very excited to do that because I am obsessed with this show. And, you know, obviously you and I have spoken many, 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 many times about the images and moments from the book that continue to haunt us like a full decade after it came out. So one of the things I love the most about Station Eleven, the show, is that the creators and the writers made a ton of changes mm -hmm. and fleshed things out and created tension in a story that I think was really necessary mm -hmm. given how dreamlike some parts of the book feel. Um, but they just nail it. Every character is wonderful. I feel like deeply invested in their survival and their happiness. And I feel like, you know, I'm always moved by like 
everything. I've cried every single episode that I've watched in some moment. I just love it so much. Yeah, and to go back to what I was saying before, I, I've been recommending Station Eleven so much. I feel like HBO should pay me. But I recommend it with the caveat of I understand watching something about a pandemic right now might be too heavy for people. And I certainly think for me, the the most difficult episode is the pilot because it feels like what we've truly just gone through, like seeing a packed hospital of sick people might trigger someone. And I, I, I'm aware of that. So I just want to like put that out there that that's a valid concern. But I also feel like the show just does such a masterful job of balancing drama with with comedy, with these dreamlike sequences where it's just beautiful to watch. It's just a fucking delight to watch. I feel good after watching it. I don't feel like yeah. depressed. I feel really inspired, as I should, because this is a show about why humans want to make beautiful things why why we have that impulse within us to just move forward and to tell stories and to find each other and to build stuff together why do we do that that's what station 11 is about and and that's really what the creators have nailed like i think the performances are just another level Mackenzie davis himesh patel i mean truly everybody down to like the smallest part is just perfectly cast um, give beautiful performances. They made a monster change from the book in episode nine that I won't go into, but could have potentially been very bad. And once again, they just stuck the fucking landing. And I was like, this is the best show on television. Yeah, I I was, you know, I, I texted again, was texting you all yesterday about uh, my experience watching uh, the most recent two episodes, including episode nine. And I I also feel, a, you know, life affirmed when I watch it, yeah. which I find to be very strange because it is such dark material, but it does leave me feeling somewhat hopeful because I see, like, the writers give you enough to hold on to. You know how there's this, there's, there's, after the relentless nihilism of The Walking Dead and the fact that it just will never go away, watching a show about the quote-unquote end of the world that includes a lot of hope and joy and moments of real grace, like, it's, you know, there's obviously it is very hard to stick the landing, but at the same time, it's not that hard to, like, Give people something to be happy about. Yeah. And and that's not to say there's not moments of violence and like really upsetting imagery. There is that as well. But it doesn't wallow in it as much as The Walking Dead does. And it gives you these moments of, as you were saying, Meredith, like really inspiring, beautiful moments that are like, oh, yeah, like there would still be good things in the world. Otherwise, people would just be offing themselves left and right. And in this world, the good things are like the traveling symphony and people creating art still. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is the the tattoo that every like uh, art girl has. But like <laughs> survival is insufficient. You know, at, at a certain point, it's not enough just to like eat food and find shelter and clothe yourself like human beings just have this impulse to make shit. And I feel like Station Eleven explores that in a really, really beautiful way. I mean, like the costuming, the costuming of the plays, how they pull together scraps that they've just like, you know, salvaged and they create costumes, really beautiful costumes. It's just like the the scene where uh, Kirsten is wearing the cape made of gloves. Do you remember that scene? Yes. I cried when I saw that because I was like, that's so beautiful. And someone would make something like that. But yeah, I don't know. I just find it really inspiring. And I like I know I won't shut the fuck about uh, shut the fuck up about it on Twitter. But I I think it's one of the, the best shows I've ever seen. It makes me feel like I felt watching Lost when Lost was really good. Like the constant episode when Lost was really at its height before they fucking suck shit at the ending. <laughs> and everybody was like in love with Lost. That's what Station Eleven feels like in its entirety so far. 
Yeah. And I have definitely noticed that a lot of people do not have like no idea what it is. They hadn't read the book. Mm -hmm. So that's been sad for me because I'm such a huge fan, but I've been trying to pull people in. I think it's just a hard sell because you've got to watch a bunch of people die from the flu. Yeah. And And that feels real. Like it's hard to hear somebody talking on the phone and you know, that person's going to be dead like that. But I, yeah, but I do think that, there, you know, aside from it, you know, being having some really beautiful moments, like there's, it's kind of good to be able to watch a show that actually addresses the tension between what came before, like before and now, mm-hmm. and whether or not, like, what do you hold on to and what do you bring to the next, yeah. like, what do you bring to the new version of the universe? And, yeah, it just makes me really happy. Yeah, and there's a fascinating moment that I think I can talk about without revealing too much where it explores how we mythologize our worst moments in history and try to spin them into something positive and how awful that is and horrifying and destructive. And the fact that Station Eleven goes there, it's just it's exploring really interesting areas nothing feels hacky or cliche like the walking dead feels a lot of the time um every character is really rich and nuanced and has a philosophy that you can understand unlike the walking dead um i should say also i, I used to like the walking dead but it it just it's relentlessly uh pessimistic in a way that i couldn't watch after a while And Station Eleven makes me feel the opposite. Station Eleven gives me a lot of hope, makes me feel inspired. And isn't that what you want out of something you you watch? Yeah, I think think so. so. Uh, Before we move on, Meredith, do you have anything else you wanted to recommend? Uh, I definitely want to... Gosh, I feel like I could go on and on and on. Uh, (laughs) The, you know, a movie I watched last night that I really enjoyed... Uh, was The Card Counter with oh, Oscar Isaac. Nice. And I know people have, uh, you know, Paul Schrader isn't everybody's jam, but if you liked First Reformed, you really should see what happens when he decides to um, tell his story about the wound, the remaining wounds of American torture in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. So I was like, oh, cool. It's gambling and military contractors. (laughs) It's everything Uh, you could possibly want. And Oscar Isaac being hot. Yeah. Oh, so hot. Um, And I, but I thought it was one, I thought it was really suspensefully paced. I thought that there was a lot of, of interesting choices made there. I thought the writing was very good. Um, You know, it could be easy to let that one slip under the radar, Mm. but I did think it was quite good. I will watch it. I know you're texting me telling me to watch it. I will. I know. I know. I was being annoying about that. No, too, no, no. Because... I like when you passionately advocate for stuff because I sometimes I'll say I'll watch something and then I forget. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely did want to see that. I just thought the casting was really interesting. Like when I saw Tiffany Haddish, I was like, oh, interesting. That's that's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was some there was some good stuff. It's actually kind of funny because there's moments in the movie where even though it's 20 years after David Fincher made fucking Fight Club, (laughs) it almost like feels like watching the card counter. I was like, oh, is this where Fincher stole, like, you know, stole this? Like with Oscar Isaac, like just the pacing and the way that he sort of does voiceover Uh with the music. Like I had, I like somehow just my brain immediately was like, it kind of reminds me of Fight Club, but if it came first and it, cause it, this is good. But. I will never forget. I had a friend when I was in college, show me fight club because I had ne- never seen it. And she was so excited to show it to me. And Meredith truly five minutes in, I like looked at her and I was like, they're the same person. Right. And she went, yeah. Yeah. But she was so crestfallen. Cause she's <laughs> like, that's like one of the biggest reveals in cinema history. And you just like completely ruined it for yourself. So like you can no longer go on this journey that we all went on. You just immediately knew they were the same person. I like to me, it was obvious. Like I saw the little, like the blip edit where you like see him briefly and it's supposed to be too fast for like the human brain to process. I was like, that was Tim. They just showed like, <laughs> 
the same they're the same person i just like was i was not and by the way i'm not that person i'm constantly amazed at twist endings that people like see coming from a mile away so i'm not that person at all but for some reason watching fight club i just immediately knew what the twist was so that's my fight club story we all have one everybody (laughs) oh absolutely but in this case i you know just bring it up because i thought it was kind of fun it was a weird throwback um just like talking about torture uh (laughs) hell yeah uh anything else you want to recommend uh let's see only if you want to i feel like we covered a lot of we can keep it yeah i'm feeling pretty pretty good oh did i recommend the velvet vampire the last time i was on i don't think so recommend it again just in case Yes, uh, the Velvet Vampire, a famous uh, nineteen like nineteen seventy Roger Corman uh, style. Um, it was directed by one of Roger Corman's proteges, a woman, mm-hmm. uh, and so a bisexual vampire who lives out in the California desert picks up a couple. And then things are sexy and menacing. And also um, really deeply funny in... Oh, yeah. It is not... It's, like, a very silly... It's so like, silly. And it's so fun. Yeah. Did I tell you... But the... I texted my friend um, who's a who's a huge fan of The Love Witch. And I told her to watch The Velvet Vampire. And she was like, why don't we do a, a back-to-back of The Love Witch and The Velvet Vampire. And I was like, that's a really good fucking idea. And I would just recommend it to everybody out there. If you have like a low key party where you want to put something on, definitely The Love Witch and or The Velvet Vampire are both very fun. And yeah, like a little sexy too, if you're okay with that at a party, but like definitely like nudity and stuff. Yeah, but it's like 70s bodies. So it's like little, little that I texted Meredith how fun to see natural small titties. like you just don't <laughs> see those in film anymore and like natural bushes and i was just like damn this again this should not feel so rare but it, w- it was nice to see yeah and i mean the writer and, and creator of the love witch has said that the velvet vampire was a huge influence mm-hmm. on her making it and you can see it yes. but it's just delightful it's very very silly and you know i think we all need some of that stuff that's like light and exciting exactly it was just so nice depressing. to watch and like You know, was I still on my phone watching it? Yeah, but like I could follow it and I was having a nice time and it was it's like really pretty to look at. So, yeah, good recommendation. On that note, everybody, it's that time of the show. I'm so sorry. Here's your bad news. Boo. Yeah, so I guess we should start with, I was going to put this in the pop culture section, but I think we can also apply political themes as well. Betty White and Sidney Poitier dying. And listen, Betty White was 99. Sidney was 94. They lived long, rich lives. But man, it sucked that (laughs) they both died and like so close together you know Betty White obviously icon so talented so busy for so many years like it's so crazy when you take into consideration everything Betty White has done did in her career like what an amazing woman Sidney Poitier maybe the most elegant man who has ever lived incredible actor um And I posted this clip on my Instagram if you follow me there. If not, what the fuck? Go follow me on Instagram. But he gives this amazing response uh, at a press conference where clearly a reporter has just been like badgering him about talking about being a black man. And he finally says like, you know, that is part of my identity. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he's like, that is part of my identity. I'm also an actor. I'm also an American. I'm also a man. And like, you don't just have to ask me shit about being black. And the crowd, which I assume is a lot of journalists, give him an applause break, which is like, (laughs) does not happen. Um, But he's just like, you know, he was so 
elegant and like so talented and had such a fascinating background, you know, coming from the Bahamas, um, you know, coming from a very, very like poor, poor background and becoming the first black man to win the best actor Oscar. So like a hugely important figure. Yeah. And he and another black actor didn't win best actor until Denzel won for training day in 2001. So he was the only for a very long time. Uh, you know, it is always terrible when, I mean, it's very sad when anyone who's a cultural icon passes mm-hmm. away and you think about their contributions to society. Um, but it is, you know, there's, I feel like it's something a little bit nice about the fact that both of them lived such long, wonderful, full lives with love and friendship and animals and all the rest of it. It's just um, like you you look just, at their lives and you're like, damn, that's how you do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just it's a it's just better. It's nice to be able to look and say and feel like it's not a tragedy. It's not a tragedy. You know? It's really again inspirational. Sorry to sorry to drop the I word so much on this episode, everybody, but I'm feeling inspired, okay? That just means I'm entering a manic phase, everybody. <laughs> if you want to read between the lines. Um get ready. Get ready, everybody. Strap in. Meredith is ready. She's braced. Um yeah, I, I find it to be really inspirational. You always want to live the type of life that when you die, when you're fucking 94 years old or 99 years old, you want people to be like, damn, that was too soon. Like, how incredible is that? That people were like, damn, I wanted to see what Betty White was going to do next year at 100. It's like, that means yeah. you lived a dope life. Absolutely. Um, that said, uh I looked very, I glanced very briefly at Twitter and saw the like name Stevie Nicks. And I Me immediately thought, I was like, don't you don't fucking, you fucking do it when they come for Stevie. That's like, that's going to be when Meredith and I fully lose our fucking minds. Uh, oh yeah. Do not mm-hmm. like they, we're, I will, if she finally departs this plane, like at some point I'm if, going to know, if, I'm going to wake up and I'm suddenly going to put on a shawl and never take it <laughs> and off. And I will live in that shawl. Yeah. The show is over at that point. Um, I love that you said, if she departs this mortal plane, <laughs> <laughs> like it's an option, she will outlive everybody. Um, and then obviously we, w- I wanted to talk about COVID in the bad news section because it's very bad news. And specifically I wanted to talk about that the CDC just reported a record number of child COVID hospitalizations because there's been this line in the media about how o- Omicron is not as serious as the other uh, variations of variants of COVID, you know, Delta and whatnot. But obviously it's still a huge problem if a record number of children are being hospitalized with it. And, and, they're fucking sending kids back to school, which not only puts the kids in jeopardy, but their teachers as well. Everybody who works at the school. Yeah. And we've definitely, there've been certain uh, accounts going around on, uh, you know, online social media from kids who are in these schools. And, you know, they're saying we have to, you know, saying, I don't, you know, it's not like we're learning anything being in school because we spend, you know, we're testing all the time. Uh, Classes are getting combined because their teachers are all out. Like they don't have enough subs. Uh, Like there's nothing that's going to be happening. So why, you know, why are you pretending like this is better for us? Like we're all traumatized. Uh, There was one student who said that they go to a selective high school in New York city. So like, one of the really, really good ones. Like Mm -hmm. that means like one of the best, most well-resourced public schools in the city. Um, They had kids finding out their positive in like in, in the auditorium where everybody's supposedly teaching, you know, and because they're kids, like as soon as everybody hears, then people start screaming and pointing and like running away from them, which actually gives me sort of I find weirdly charming because like <laughs> children are assholes no matter what happens it's always it's always cooties no matter what it is it's cooties um yeah exactly yeah I like it, it's really horrible and of course I want to stress you know uh people who are fully Im- immunized and have gotten the booster are 
far, far less likely to be hospitalized. So this isn't me saying like, you know, don't get vaccinated or anything like that. Absolutely get vaccinated. But yeah, this sort of rush to get everybody back to quote unquote normal, which just means like, you know, opening businesses back up, basically treating everybody like cogs, right? Like our our wonderful mayor here, Eric Adams, is, you know, really, really pushing for businesses to open back up and for kids to go back to school because I, he just thinks like his his force of will will make everything okay. I don't know. I don't know what his thinking is, but there is this constant push to uh, back into productivity because ultimately the government doesn't care about human lives. Well, didn't he go on television and say that like he was going to beat COVID with swagger? Yeah, yeah, because we're a New Yorkers narrative, and I don't know if you've noticed that makes us special humans who can't get sick. So time to cram everybody back on the subway and let this thing fucking spread, baby. Yeah, I mean things in Wisconsin are very bad. They are not. They're not. Uh, emergency room beds they're canceling non-emergency surgeries um people are very concerned and you know we'll probably be getting the peak a little you know after you guys since it's already happening but people are going down left and right and as a lot of people have pointed out at one of the things that's most frustrating and infuriating about this round of outbreak is because everyone wants to pretend we can go back to normal and and by everyone, I mean everyone in power uh, who has the ability to make decisions that might help people. Uh, because everything's supposed to be going back to normal, there's no sense of urgency to continue giving assistance to people and businesses and people and children and parents right. and any group you want who need it. Because uh, so now restaurants have to stay open because they need the customers but the customers might not go because they're afraid. And so, but there's no, there's, they don't have the, there's no programs anymore. Oh, and yeah. I mean, and this effort to yeah. like keep live theater going, they're asking the performers to take pay cuts. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, absolutely not. Yeah. And I think that watching, you know, I was like, what, where do you think people are, what do you think they're going to do? And I, it's, I think a, part of why you've seen people leaving these jobs like it's just the longer this goes on the more time businesses and capitalists and companies have like the more opportunities they have to show that they don't give a shit about anything related to their workers and they do not care if you die yeah that's that's ultimately it they don't (laughs) they don't give a shit about you they don't give a shit if you live or die and man i really hope people are like paying attention and and letting that message soak in because our leaders can't be clearer about it right now where they're like you don't matter your lives don't matter we we need to get the economy going again because the economy is more important than you which is stupid because you are the economy your labor drives everything if if you don't if we don't have your labor nothing else happens but um yeah so oh my god did you see that stupid new york post headline about the elderly couple that like died together in the hospital Oh, yeah, the unvaccinated couple that died, like, seconds apart holding their hands. the New York Post is hands. trying to, like, frame it as this romantic. It's so stupid. And, like, I already went off about it on Twitter. I won't just replicate what I said there. But that is not romantic. These two old people refusing to get vaccinated and dying together in the hospital is a fucking tragedy. Yeah. And, you know, they probably... They probably wouldn't have died if they had actually gotten vaccinated, yeah. as we have seen, even if they had these things. But yes, it is. It's the same impulse as the stories that end up writing these profiles of like, well, why this person died because they and they didn't get the vaccine. And here's what they were thinking and where they came from and why they didn't believe in basic. Or, you know, you know what it made me think of and made me think of the other news stories about like. This teacher sold their kidney to get pencils for their classroom. Isn't that a heartwarming story? And it's like, no, that's actually a symptom of our broken society. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. It's like, no, this is not how this is supposed to be. Uh, yeah, that 
you know, we're going to, we're going to see more of that. And I just, I worry. I've definitely been talking to my friends who are teachers and my friends who are parents and, you know, no one is happy about this. Nobody is feeling good about anything, but they definitely don't want to get sick. They don't want their kids to get sick. And, uh, they're just pissed as hell because, we don't care about anything except giving money to the rich capitalists. But I don't know why I'm saying capitalism so much right now. But I mean, that's every episode. <laughs> How do you not talk about capitalism? Um, but but good news, Meredith, uh, to to mark the anniversary of the U.S. Capitol insurrection. I don't know if you saw this little treat for everybody. Nancy Pelosi introduced Lynn Manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton for some reason to say a fucking song (laughs) it was like i know this word is overused so much on the internet but it was such pure cringe that i was like i have to put this in the bad news section this is so bad (laughs) oh it it was i was like really and that's one of those times when i think like god lin-manuel really can't stop himself can he like there is a time and a place for saying you know what I and the rest of the cast of Hamilton are good. So, like, have fun, guys. But we're not doing this Yeah, again. you can say no, Lynn. I don't know if he knows that. But you can say no to stuff. And, like, listen, Meredith and I are pulling together our, our best films of uh, 2021. Um, I guess early 2022. And we'll have that for you guys closer to the Oscars. But... I'm saying this because um, I saw Encanto, which is a beautiful film, and it really was, it reminded me that Lin-Manuel Miranda is brilliant, but then he does shit like this, where it's just pure cringe, and I'm like, Lin, this is why it's really hard for me to be a fan of you, (laughs) because, like, obviously (laughs) at this point, Hamilton's cringe, because it's been around for, like, too long, and it's just a cliche at this point, and you forget how how amazing it was when it first came out, and Lynn is just, like, one of those really earnest theater kids that most people hate, Um, but you forget he's also, like, legitimately a musical genius, and then you watch Encanto, where, like, you don't see him, you just see the product of his work, and it's like, oh, right, you are a genius, but then he does shit like this where it's like, oh, God, it was so bad. That's why it's in the bad news section. Guys, that's enough of the bad. Let's end things on a positive note, shall we? Here's your good news. Woohoo! Obviously, the the good news, the big good news of this week is that all three white men were convicted of murdering uh, Ahmad Arbery. Arbery, uh, they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, you know, we're not carceral on this show, but as long as we do have prisons, these are the types of people I believe belong in prison. But I think it's also important to remember. Uh, none of this would have happened. There would have been no form of justice had there not been a video because by the time that video was leaked or the press began to show it, um, there was already like an active cover-up happening of the murder. Yeah. Didn't somebody from the uh, the police department end up le- uh, leaking it? I think so, Yeah. Uh, because they, uh, they were advised not to, because one of the killers knew a prosecutor and the prosecutor was like in the process of what? Yeah. Um, so it it definitely Uh, would have gone away. I'm looking, I'm actually, I'm looking at this, uh, the, uh, actually one of the people, uh, one of the, one of the men who was convicted actually asked a local attorney to provide the cof- uh, like copy of the video to a local radio station who posted it on their website. Wow. So uh, it was only then. <laughs> now, I, you know, exactly what the context was there, I'm sure, was they thought that they, that would actually yes. 
vindicate them. They, which thought, is... they thought like, oh, he looked so suspicious. And it was like, no, this man was just like jogging through the neighborhood. But they claimed that was why they chased him down and murdered him because um, they were claiming they were like looking for somebody who had been like breaking in. Or Was that what they said? Something yeah, like some that. Bullshit, some bullshit that um, gave an excuse for three racists to chase down and kill a black man. Um, and I mean, you've got to really have a serious, like you've got, you've got some balls on you. If you think to yourself, oh yeah, it'll be fine. We'll just release this video that shows us shooting a person. It'll like, that'll just explain everything and we'll just be able to go about our business. Yeah. Well that like, that was so revealing, right? Because it's, it's, it's the reason that when, body cams were first introduced and there were a bunch of like male journalists on Twitter who were like racism is over now because now we'll have like video proof that these white cops are killing unarmed black people if you're a racist and you look at a video like that it's subjective what you see like if you're a racist and you see a white officer shoot an unarmed black person you'll say but they look like a threat so like video doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I mean, this was so such an extreme example where it's like by the time the video went nationwide, it was like, yeah, thankfully enough people saw it where they were like, oh, they just straight up murdered that guy that now they got sentenced to life without parole. But again, it's sad that this is such a rarity, but uh, I'm glad as long as we have prisons, uh, this these are the types of people who should be in prison. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we have, as we have discussed many, many times, the, uh, you know, we are not necessarily always going to be consistent in our ability because like, yeah, I like, you know, I like a bunch of, I like some vengeance and I like to see there actually be consequences for criminal violent behavior. Yeah. Like, well, that's the sad reality of it where it's like, if if we lived in a just society, we, you know, Arbery would still be alive. We wouldn't have had this whole trial. But because we live in a broken society, this is considered good news where it's like the innocent person is still dead, has been murdered by these three men. And the best outcome we can hope for at this point is that there's some kind of justice in terms of these men going to jail, which they will. No parole, baby. Um, yeah. Speaking of things that are good news, that should not be good news. So did you see that California is going to stop prosecuting people for pregnancy loss? I did see that. That's good news. Uh, if anybody doesn't know what that means, it means that California used to charge people um, with something called fetal murder after they gave birth to a, a stillborn baby. Um, if they had used like drugs. So uh, the justice system used to call that murder, which is insane. Um, so uh, there was a woman in 2017 who was sentenced to 11 years in prison uh, because of uh, a fetal murder. And then in 2019, Kings County prosecutors charged a woman with fetal murder after she experienced a stillbirth from alleged meth use. So uh, that was happening in California, which if that sounds very uh, medieval and awful, it is. Yes. And it definitely happens in many, many other states. Mm -hmm. So California is merely bringing itself to the bare minimum. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's still ahead of a lot. Yeah. So sadly. But yeah. So uh, and then also I, I just wanted to put this in the good news section with the huge caveat that it is, again, the bare minimum. And actually, I want to use it as a jumping off point to call for more because uh, the Biden administration announced on Wednesday that they are extending the existing pause on student loan repayment again, which is good. And then they also announced that uh, they're ordering a freeze on evictions, which again is good. Now what I'm calling for is canceling all student debt and ending evictions. Um, because obviously that's, that's what needs to happen because 
I don't think we've said this yet, but it needs to be said. There's no returning to normal. And I think a lot of people are still in denial about that where they're like, after COVID, there's no after COVID. There's no going back to normal. This is the new reality. This is what we're dealing with right now. I think that's, that thought is scary to a lot of people, but potentially it could mean making radical policy changes that are ultimately very good for millions of people. And I think something good that could come out of all of this is canceling student debt and um, abolishing evictions, period. Yeah. And we will certainly see this is uh, some of these things. Anything that seems common sense is also getting increasingly hard to, to do. But uh, I'm still hopeful that there will be something. And I know that uh, there we just have to keep keep fighting and keep trying to force the issue because, you know, take, for example, the fact that the administration has promised to mail out tests, of course, how that's going to actually Where's function my test? or why they haven't done it yet uh, is a question. Where's my damn but, test? I know, was promised that... a test in the new year. They said it was coming in January. We're now at January 8th. I think they said end of January now. I want my damn right. test. Yeah. So while they're trying to figure out whatever supply chain issues they can't get past, that did at least that even that happened because people were so horrified <laughs> by what Jen Psaki said about it not being feasible. And that is incredibly important. So maybe there is a way to like actually push for stuff, uh, you know, that, that kind of relief and, and see what happens. Can I ask a very dumb this- question? <laughs> like, yes. kind of embarrassingly dumb, but this is a safe space. Are COVID tests one test only or can you reuse them no okay well no because you have to like do the, the swab, swab and yeah. then you do the okay. yeah that's what i thought but i was like so they're mailing a bunch of one time t- i don't know like I, that's good but i'm also like shouldn't that be a regular thing regular testing i don't know yeah i mean it should mm-hmm. uh and you know maybe like well Maybe the company that was making the test should like shouldn't have destroyed their entire inventory back when they had it or, you know, they letting everything expire uh, or, you know, now because and this is bad news. But, you know, because the deal with the White House or with the administration has run out now, Kroger and Walmart are raising the prices on the tests, which I believe so, is called price gouging. Uh, yeah. And yet. Somehow it's allowed. Hmm, interesting. Very Weird. interesting. Uh, All right. We have to pull yeah. we have to pull out of this nose dive because we're in the good news section. Um It's true. It's true. Everybody, please follow Meredith on Twitter at Meredith L. Clark. Is there anything you wanna promote or you're just kicking it? Uh what I do wanna promote is uh a song by a group called Other Boys I, titled Eat Your Salad. Yeah, swear, uh, it is a Latvian pop song. I swear to you, I had that in the good news section and we just ran out of time. But yeah. The- oh, well, I'm going to say like that. I was going to add it in good news. Uh, so I'm glad that this is I'm plugging a Latvian six piece rap funk outfit. Uh, I will make sure Allison has a link. Possibly the greatest opening line to a song in the history of <laughs> all music you sent it to me and i didn't listen to it or i didn't open the link right away and then you were like did you listen yet did you listen did you and then i was like what is this and then i listened i was like oh that's why she was freaking out because it's amazing (laughs) so if you need something to make you happy there are some latvian guys who are very concerned about the environment and some other very important things which i will not spoil if you are uh, if you follow me on twitter i made yeah. a very helpful venn diagram of where this song falls in the overlap of feminism environmentalism and animal rights in a very mm-hmm. special way um yeah it's very important so yeah that's all i've got to to flog today oh yeah Everybody, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. You can follow both of us on all the socials. Uh, Light Trees and News is on the socials. If you're a fan of the show and you want to keep us going and help me pay co-hosts and hosting fees and all that stuff, lighttreason.news, smash the donate button. If you want to have a little more opportunity with feedback with the show, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That's where you can send comments, recommendations. If you're a supporter of mine 
And yes, thank you for listening to another episode. And while you're at it, if you're vaccinated, get out there and cause a little trouble. 